Basically, we're going to talk about Choshech. Choshech is the ninth Makkah of the tenth Makkot in Mitzrayim. Arbeh, Choshech, Makkot, Bechorot. Those are the three Makkot in um, the three Makkot in the Parashat Bo. Vayoma Hashem al Moshe. You see the Pasuk? Netei Yadcha ala Shamay. Raise your arm to heaven. And the entire land of Egypt shall be dark. And then you have these two difficult words, not difficult in themselves, but difficult to understand what they're about. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But there are attempts to deal with the mystery. Right, Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, It was even darker than the darkness of the night. In other words, if you could imagine, I think you imagine like at night, it's not perfectly dark because there's the moon and the stars, so you get a little bit of light. So again, Rashi says, Choshech, Yoter Laila, darker yet than the darkness of the night. The Choshech Shelaila, Ya'amish, Viachshoch Od. There's some word, Ya'amish, that Rashi says, like, Last night, right? Emesh. There's a word in Hebrew, right? Emesh, last night. The night of the night. It's very... Rashi is trying to say that it was very dark. It's hard for us to imagine what that darkness was. But as a result of the darkness, the Pasuk says, So Rashi says that the words tell me about the depths of darkness. It wasn't just dark, it was very dark. Okay. Uh, Rashi then, uh, well, let's look at the next pasuk. The next pasuk, pasuk kavbet, vayet Moshe et yado ala shamayim, vayichoshech afeila. A new description. There was choshech, then vayamesh choshech, and now, Choshech Afela. And the word Afela, the word Afela is a known word, right? Afela. It also means darkness, usually. So, Choshech Afela means Choshech, any time in the, the Torah where you have a duplicated word, like you'd have here, Choshech Choshech, that would mean very, very Choshech. But we don't know exactly what the difference is between darkness, very darkness, and super very darkness. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything to us because we've never experienced this. The next pasuk, just a few psukim, pasuk of Gimel, right? Velora u ishet achiv. Oh, so this is the result of the choshech very choshech, super choshech, lo ra'u ish et achiv, 
No one saw anybody else, which is not usually true in the darkness that we know. You can recognize people. Right? The Begdim of the, the Gemara says, uh, you know, it gets clearer during the day. Right? The Netzach Alot HaShachar is when you could recognize somebody. That's how, that's how you know that the day is coming. Three days. I don't know what that means. Nobody stood up from where, I guess, wherever they were. Now this will become the most important phrase in the in these psukim that we're going to learn. So remember it. So the makkah, as with other makot, was a makkah on the Egyptians. But the Jews were spared. And not only were they spared, but it says in the pasuk, So you have to figure out, you have to think, Haya Arbim Moshvotan could be one of two things, two possibilities. One is it was regular, it was there was light, like there's always light. The darkness came on the Egyptians, and the, the, the Jews remained as they were. Or or in the place of the Jew where the Jews left, there was something new. And that something new is called Or. In other words, I know that the meaning of the word or is light, but it is also could be true, it could be true that the or, the or of uh, this pasuk refers to something special, not just light that comes from the sun and the moon and or the moon and the stars, not just that, but something beyond that, right, which reminds us of the third pasuk in the Torah. Right? God said, let there be light. And everybody, a light that had nothing to do with, light that had nothing to do with me'orot. Me'orot usually translated luminaries. I don't know what a luminary is, but in French I think it means a, a, a bulb, a light bulb. Lumière. So, oh, you, you're still French? <laughs> Okay, that's good. So, uh, so uh, the, uh, the light of Pasuk Gimel in Breshit, right? Pasuk Al Breshit, Mishayim Daaretz, Pasuk Beis Ba'aretz, I told him about Pasuk Gimel, by Yomer Elokim Yehi'or. That light that God created on the third day, we wonder about. And Rashi says, Rashi says, that light that was created on the third day did not really stay in the world. It left the world. God said somehow that the people were not prepared to live with that light. It was too bright. It was too forceful. It was too whatever light could be. But here, so here, I'm just saying we're reminded of that pasuk, I think legitimately, and that's what the pasuk says so remember, or could either be regular, meaning in the, for the Egyptians there was darkness, for the Jews there was regular, or it means that for the Egyptians there was darkness, and for the Jews they were special. 
There was something special called or something special called or. We are here. <laughs> You're supposed to read the signs, doctor. I see, but the arrow pointed that way. Not the arrow. They said read the sign. They don't say read the arrow. Ah, okay. So anyway, that's why Ayah Orbe Moshevotav. Ayah Orbe Moshevotav. Okay. We look back in Rashi. Rashi. If you look at Pasuk Kavbet. Chasuk Kavbet. Yichoshik Afeila Shaloshit Yamim. Chochchech Shel Ofel. Shalora U Ish Et Achiv Otan Shaloshit Yamim. He says, during the first three days, uh, no one could see anything. No one saw, they couldn't see each other. The old Shloshet Yamim Achirim, Choshech Muchpal Alzeh. Right? And then, so there were three days and there were three days. There were three days at the end of Pasuk Bet, and another three days in Pasuk Kav Gimel. So that's what Rashi says. He says there were three days and there were another three days. That's how Rashi explains, understands the psukim and the use of the of these words. But then Rashi says, Rashi says, uh, uh, there were another three days. I mean, you, first Choshech, you couldn't see anything. The second Choshech was even worse. Right? That's when no one was able to get up and to, and to uh, uh, kind of relate to each other. They just stood fixed in their place. So Rashi is tricking us here. He's, he's, he's a commentary, but he's not helping me. What do you mean? What does that mean? How could darkness affect a person in that way? Oh, I can, I know, I mean, I suppose there's some psychological problem that a person has if he really can't see anything at all, but Rashi doesn't help me. Achshav. Rashi realizes that basically he's stuck. He does not, he, Rashi, knows that he has not given us enough information about Choshech to make it meaningful. So Rashi says the following, if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says, Lama hevi alehem choshech. Why did God bring choshech upon Mitzrayim? Lama hevi alehem choshech. Shayu bi Yisrael boto hador rishaim. Amongst the Jews in Egypt, there were rishaim. Rishaim, bad people. And these Rishaim did not want to leave the country. That is to say, to leave Mitzrayim. Right? And they died during the first three days of darkness. And then the Egyptians would say, oh, the Jews are also being punished. And if the Jews are also being punished, then we don't have to be nervous about the fact that we're being punished. We don't have to respond. 
because it's just something mad that's going on in heaven. Yomru Avelo Kinkamona. New. New. So according to this Rashi, what's the Rashi? Rashi is explaining the whole thing, right? Explained everything. He said, well, what God wanted to do was make sure that the bad guys of, of the Jewish people should be killed without anybody noticing it. Nobody will notice it, so they'll be punished, they'll receive their punishment, the death penalty, for not being willing to leave, to leave, not being willing to leave Mitzrayim. Hi. They're not willing to leave Mitzrayim. And, uh, I'm only a little confused. <laughs> and we have a shared next room with the outside door as well. Now I'm not confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was confused about. <laughs> so I'm still confused. This is, this is I understand. Rashi told us that there was darkness in Mitzrayim. The Pasuk says that there was or for Bnei Yisrael. Then Rashi says, well, the darkness in Mitzrayim is really not relevant. It's only incidental that there was darkness in Mitzrayim, in order that they should not see what was going on in Israel, And what was going on in Israel, people were dying. People were dying. It was a, a reverse Makkah. It's the only Makkah in which the Jews are punished and the Egyptians are kind of kept out of it. They're kept separate. That's what Rajin says. This is a pretty remarkable position. I know that Rashi gets it from the Medrash. Right, I know that. But, it, but it's still remarkable. Furthermore, Rashi said, furthermore, going along the same theme. What is the same theme that, that the Choshech doesn't really have any to do with the Egyptians? It only has to do with the Jews. And Rashi comes up with this remarkable idea. Ready? Remarkable idea. Ba'od, Shechitsu Yisrael Verau et Klehem. That this enabled B'nai Yisrael, how did they do it? I don't know. They, to go run around in the, amongst the Egyptians and check where the silver bo- silverware. Uh, Breakfront was. You know, if you look at the advertisements of those magazines, every Jewish home has one with a lot of silver things in it. And so they went around and they cataloged all the stuff that the Egyptians had, right? She had when they left Egypt, they would they would ask them, where's the stuff? We want you to give it to us because that was part of the promise that God made to Avram Avinu that they would inherit all of this stuff. The Egyptians say, we don't have anything like that. We don't have a breakfast and we don't have candles and we don't have beckers and we don't have all that kind of stuff that Jews have. So this tricky little Jew, he said, I have a little catalog that I made. Everything in your house and everything where everything is, we want it, we want it now. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, Rashi has two different reasons that the Makav Choshech is about Am Yisrael. Yes, it was dark for the Egyptians, 
but not because they did anything, and not because they were being punished about something, but it was simply a matter of tzniyut. Tzniyut meaning you didn't want, you didn't want the Jews, uh, you didn't want the Egyptians to see the situation that the Jews were in. And what was the situation that the Jews were in? That they were, some of them were going to die because they didn't want to leave, leave Mitzrayim. So by implication, by implication, uh, uh, what Rashi is telling us is about Yitziat Mitzrayim. As I think I mentioned last night, Rashi is saying it very clearly that the Makotim Mitzrayim, the Makotim Mitzrayim were for the Jews. Every single one of them were for the Jews. And what did they accomplish, supposedly? They were able to remake a people that was enslaved in Egypt and probably not worthy for whatever reason. Chazal say that they were, that they were uh, deeply involved with idolatry. But that, but that maybe Chazal mean, if you're in that kind of situation, that you're enslaved in a country where the, everybody around you is an idolater, it's very hard to ignore all of that and not be influenced and not accept some of the principles you see around you. So that the period of time of Yitkol, which we call Yitziat Mitzrayim, the time that it took from the first Makot until Makat Bechorot, all of that time was an investment by heaven in educating the Jewish people and preparing them to receive the Torah. Because, you know, as the Maharal says, Maharal said, you know, uh, you can't just receive the Torah. You have to be ready to receive the Torah. By that he means, you know, like if, uh, if uh, somebody gave me a book to read in Chinese, Chinese, he would not have given me anything because I can't read Chinese. So I got nothing. You have to be able to use the, the gift. We have to be able to be the appropriate recipient of the gift. So B'nai Israel had to be the appropriate recipients of the gift of Torah. In order, the first thing that they had to do in order to be the appropriate recipients of the gift of the Torah was they had to, they had to necessarily be uh, uh, certain that the promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made to Avram Avinu would be fulfilled. We call that bitachon. Bitachon, there's no way to prove it. There's no way to know it. But they had absolute confidence, they had to have absolute confidence that Yitziat Mitzrayim was real, was really happening, that they were really going to leave. And that's why every time Paro said no, B'nai Yisrael were confronted again with that question, is it happening or is it not happening? Even though they wanted to believe that it was happening, I can imagine, this I can imagine, that it was difficult. That every time Paro said, no, we're not going to let you out of Mitzrayim, no matter what. And in this parasha, the Arbeh, there was the greatest attack of Arbeh in history came upon the Egyptians. Now, you know that Arbeh, Arbeh is something that happens even today. From time to time, you could see it. Or you could, like a Discovery Channel, you just <laughs> do Arbeh, and it'll show you great pictures of an Arbeh. But they come, sometimes they even make it to Israel. Even though there's no reason 
because they have a lot of good stuff to eat in Egypt, but they sometimes they get blown in, in the, into Israel, and it's a real it's a real problem. The Arbez is something terrible. Uh, so if you had more of them than you ever had before, then uh, the crop is gone. Everything that's growing is 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 gone. So they had to understand Arbez the worst possible, the greatest ever, the total destruction of, of everything edible in Egypt, and Paro said, said no. Paro said no. So there's a question about Paro, right? As we always say, there's a question about Paro. Where did he get the strength? I mean, it's true that the Pasuk says, that God hardened his heart. But what did Paro say to Paro? A paro stayed there before Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, let them out. And paro says, no. Well, how did paro to himself justify his obstinacy? I mean, how did he do that? What was, his, where, what was the source of his power? Well, the source of his power must have been that he didn't believe in the promise, that he didn't think that anything would happen, that he thought at every stage of the way that it was over. This was the most. Moshe Rabbeinu could never do anything worse than he's already done to us. And if he can't do anything worse than he's already done to us, there's no way that I'm going to let them go. So that's, that's what happened in our bed. And then along came Choshech. And the Chiddush in Choshech is that Paro is really not involved, as we will see. Paro is not really, is not really involved. But if they couldn't stand and they couldn't sit for three days, then he must have been involved, right? Yeah, they were involved. They but, but after the three days and after the six days, everything came back to normal. After the Arbeh, after the Arbeh, there was no normalcy that you came back to. I mean, uh, uh, I, I understand that the, the, you're right, that the, that the description in the Pasuk is very severe. Something bad happened. But it could be. It could be that something bad happened to the Egyptians, but it also could be that it was about the Jews, what was happening. I mean, both of the, these, these two kinds of ways of looking at it don't cancel each other out, and they're actually fine. I, yeah? Talking over the language here, it says that the social the Egyptians would not see the Mapalash or the Jews. Right. And, and they will say that they're getting hit just like we are. Right. If it's so dark that they can't do anything, how can they see what's happening to the Jews? No, that's why it was dark. It was if it would not have been dark and the Jews would be dying. Then they would say it. So then they would say that. They would say, you know, so they'd all, like they, they'd, they'd be fortified. Dark, so they, they wouldn't see. Well, they would see that. They would see that. Afterward, they'd see the body. <laughs> Okay. More. Okay. I will just uh, mention another pasuk, which is probably relevant. You see, under the under the Rashi, Shmuel Perikud Alu Pasuk Dalit Vayovo Moshe Koma Hashem Kachatzot Halayla Aniyotzei Betoch Mitzrayim. This is the introduction to Makat Bechorot. That Makat Bechorot, right, the, the murder or the killing of the firstborn, took place, took place when? Chachatzot Halayla. Chatzot Halayla is the middle of the night. 
the middle of the night. I mean, I, I, which is usually around 12 o'clock, you know, the way we tell time. There are shorter nights and longer nights, but the middle is usually that. So the Rashi says, uh, Rashi says, that's what I'm interested in. The middle of the night. It says in the Pasuk, like Chatzot, Kimo, Ta'alot. Right? He says, that's what kechatzot means. It means in the middle. Zeu pshuto liyashvo lofanav. She'en chatzot she'en davar shel chetzi. It doesn't do with half. It means the middle of something. Rabotenu darshuhu. This is the part that interests me. Rabotenu darshuhu. Kimo bechatzi halayla v'amru. Rabotenu said that even if it says kechatzot or kachatzot, kechatzot, in the middle of the night, Shamar Moshe Kachatzot de Mashma Samuchlo Olefanav Olacharav. That it doesn't mean exactly the middle of the night, but it means about, we would say in English, about the middle of the night. Not exactly the middle of the night. Why? Right? Velo Amar Bechatzot. Shema yit'u itstagninei paro. Paro had these magicians who were apparently very competent at what they were doing. And if Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, Bechatzot, exactly at the middle of the night, then they would like try to figure out when the middle of the night is. And they would probably be mistaken, uh, at least by a few minutes. And therefore, they would come to the conclusion that Moshe Rabbeinu was wrong. It didn't happen in the, in the, exactly what he said. The Yomru Moshe Badaihu, and they would use that as a proof with which they could say that Moshe Moshe was a was a liar. So you see, until the very end, again, you see, until the very end, uh, the 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 and Paro and his entourage and all the people with him are sticking to their guns, meaning that they refuse to admit that they are part of the divine plan. They refuse to believe that. You know, there's this argument between Yosef and his brothers. You know Yosef and his brothers? Mm-hmm. When, when Yosef says to his brothers, I'm Yosef, I'm Yosef. What do the brothers say? They say, Oy vey. We're really in a bad situation. Why are we in a bad situation? Because Yosef is going to, he'll punish us. I and mean, we sold him, we, we, were, we weren't nice to him. That's what, that's, what, uh, uh, that's what the brothers say. What does Yosef say? It has nothing to do with you. God sent me here, and I was supposed to do this job, and I'm supposed to become the second in command in Egypt. And I was supposed to feed all the people. So don't worry about it. He said to his brothers, the brothers, they say, but Becholzot, we did it. We did something wrong. And this is the first discussion, the first discussion that philosophy has, has about, about the, the purposefulness of history.
Does history mean anything? Are we going someplace? Is what happened supposed to happen or not supposed to happen? And so this was again the point that the Egyptian made. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter to the Egyptians how powerful Moshe was or the God that Moshe Rabbeinu represented was. It didn't matter. If they could find even a, a, a tiniest opening which would enable them to say, God's, God, Moshe's God is not perfect, doesn't know everything, he's not really on top of everything, then all the questions are answered as far as the Egyptians are concerned. Yes, they're suffering, but ultimately, ultimately they'll win, the Egyptians thought, because all they have to do is hang in there, and sooner or later all this will come to an end. All of this will come to an end. And it's even true that after Makat Bechorot, right, Shmos Bo, the next parasha, is Beshalach. What's the amazing thing about Beshalach? Well, it's about Egyptians. It's about the Egyptians that ran after the Jews. After Makat Bechorot, which was preceded by Choshev, which was preceded by Arbeh. It's, it's, it's hard to fathom how people could be so obstinate. But they were obstinate, they were being obstinate about their way of life, about things that they believed, about things that they could not conceive of, that there would be one God who would be the God of the world, that would be in charge of history, ongoing history. They couldn't believe any of that. They had no way to absorb it. And therefore, therefore they felt the opposite about Bakat Becharot. They're gone. It's over. They can't do anything else to us. There's nothing that could happen to us. And so they got their chariots and horses and ran after the Jews. And they were so fearsome. They were so fearsome that, you say, that the Jews were in, in uh, total fear of the Egyptians who were bearing down on them. Until HaKadosh Baruch had to say to Moshe Rabbeinu, so what are you what are you screaming about? This is a time for action. It's not time for screaming. This is what this is what uh, uh, this is what Akadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu. In other words, like flip it around, the Jews were absolutely convinced for a moment that the Egyptians would be victorious. That the Egyptians would be victorious, even though the, the Egyptians the Egyptians had to, uh, like, like somehow, the stubbornness that they exhibited, the belief that they had, the profoundness of the belief that they had that there was no God who was in charge of everything, was a sign to B'nai Yisrael about what their belief should be, how they should respond. Right? You have to be strong. Speak to them. And they will they will fight against you. So I think, okay. So I want to learn. Uh, I want to learn uh, with you this uh, first Likuti halachot. This is Rabbi Natan, uh, like talking about ideas that come from his Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman of Ratzler. He says things that we have to that generally we all understand. This is an idea that Rav Nachman also stated, right? 
Gula, this word, came into the world at the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Redemption, Gula. But Gula in a physical sense, right? Horizontal motion, going from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael. Gula Rishona, Shehi Yitziat Mitzrayim, Shekolel Kol HaGulot. So this was an idea that Chazal already had. There's this, they say, Maaseh Avot, Siman Libani. Right? People who study computers know about this in the olden days. I mean, I never studied computers, but I remember this word, path. It was once a word that people who knew computers knew. And that once you put the path into your computer, you could use it again and again and again. And therefore, someplace along the line, this idea came into the world that the Torah doesn't just tell me stories that are interesting or even important. Right? It's more than that. The Torah tells me stories that establish the path for the Jewish people. It's a kind of a, of a genetic aberration. Abraham did it, and then Yitzchak did it, and Yaakov did it. So in this case, we're talking about Yaakov Avinu, Gulari Shona, the first Geula that was created. I mean, of course, Yaakov Avinu, against his uh, immediate interest, went into, uh, went down to Mitzrayim, right? Yosef said, get, gotta come to Mitzrayim. And Yaakov didn't want to go. Yaakov thought that he had already been redeemed. Right, because he spent all that time in the house of Lavan. Then he came back to Eretz Canaan and he faced off with with Esav, and and so he was finished. Vayeshev Yaakov, Rashi says, Bikesh Lashevet Bishalva. He wanted to be uh, uh, a quiet, wanted to, to finish out his life, wanted to be the old age home of Canaan. Oh, great idea. And Yitziat Mitzrayim, according to Rav Nachman, is a model for all the redemptions. You have to remember that the Jews went from Mitzrayim to Canaan. Then the Jews went from Bovel back to Eretz Yisrael, right? You remember that? And then finally, they're going back, maybe. I don't want to tell you what God's doing. But it looks like there are Jews coming back to Eretz Israel today. And if you'd make a mistake of thinking that maybe God was involved, it wouldn't be such a terrible mistake. You know, like it would pass here and there. Maybe not everywhere, but here and there it would pass. So he says, Kolel kol ha-gaulot, ki kol ha-galuyot mechunim b'shem Mitzrayim. Kemoshe katav rabbeinu zal, all diasporas are called Mitzrayim. I mean, they're not all in Mitzrayim, but they're all a repeat of Mitzrayim. We get there and we have trouble getting out. That's what a galut is. A galut is I'm displaced and for some reason I can't get myself back to where I came from. There's some reason that I don't, I don't even understand myself. The Moshe Kedar Rebbeinu Zalbukom Acher Al Kain and so, you see that pasuk that we just learned? The gula began in the middle of the night. 
כמו שכתוב, כחצות הלילה אני יוצא בתוך מצרים, כי, that's the פסוק that we just learned, right? כחצות, בחצות, you remember? אני יוצא בתוך מצרים, כי עיקר כל הגאולות, the essence, the essential feature of redemption, בפרט גאולת מצרים, היה על ידי בחינת הנעל, and this, this thing about חצות, הנאמר במאמר הנעל, that means they're quoting, quoting Rav Nachman in, uh, in מאמר דלת, על ידי בחינת השגחה, השגחה means watchfulness, divine watchfulness, that God is in charge, שהמשיך השם יתברך מסוף העולם, מעלמא דעתה, that God, this was not, like you had to understand this, because every place else in the world, I mean this we know from other, other way, everybody had local, there were local gods, What, what's a local god? A god that's in charge of me, and I'm in charge of him, or her, whatever it is, right? But, but there's this idea, you could have a god and I could have a god, and there's no contradiction there. And along came the Jews and they said, no, you can't, you can't do that. There's only one god. And that one God is the one God for everybody. And if there's one God for everybody, so I'm contradicting in that way. You're contradicting what, uh, what people thought. Right? Everything went wild. Bitul HaTeva, what does Bitul HaTeva mean? You don't, the natural order, as we, we kind of fool ourselves to thinking that the world works on its own, according to, according to Rav Nachman. Bitul HaTeva, Bitul... Should I stop? It's a message. Somebody wants to tell us something. machine so again, again, what's happening in, uh, in uh, Yitziat Mitzrayim, right? There's no way that you can attribute everything that's going on in Yitziat Mitzrayim to any other than HaKadosh Baruch There's Bitol HaTeva. There's nothing that happens that is normal. Even day and night has been rendered Uh, uh, something new, something that never happened before. And this is all because of the world that is to come, meaning that, that, that it's predetermined, that somehow there's an end of days to what, the, what God wants us to see. Key, three lines from the bottom. Bisitra, the Yovla, and the Fako, they come out of the Yovel, the side of Yovel, which is 50 years, the 50 year cycle. Shehu bechinat chamishim, Sharei Binan, that's 
equal to, right, in the Kabbalistic lingo, 50 sharei, sharei gates of Bina, meaning, meaning that, that there, there is a wisdom that is acquired. There's a wisdom that you can get to. If you do other things, I mean, this was a Kabbalistic idea that if you keep the mitzvot in the proper way, if you look into them in a proper way, you can garner wisdom. What does wisdom mean? What is wisdom this, in this uh, rendering? That you will understand something about the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and world. You'll understand something about why there are promises in the Torah. And why the, uh, the fact that, that the promises will be kept, that's what we call bitachon. That's what we call it. We're, we're, we're certain. There's a certainty about it. And the people in Mitzrayim, that was their problem. Their problem was that they didn't have that certainty. Or they had lost the ability. I mean, Yaakov Avinu had it, but slavery knocked it out of them. Slavery knocked it out of them. So that's, that's what they were working on. That's what Yitziat Mitzrayim was about. That's why Gu'ula, redemption, began at midnight. Broke the night, broke the darkness. The darkness is represents the lack of knowledge, the lack of understanding, the lack of comprehension. And the Yitziat Mitzrayim, there's a remez before the last of the Makot, the Makat Bechorot, and the was breaking this Choshech, breaking the, the darkness, enabling people to see what was really going on. And they had to overcome because slavery was the, is the opposite of redemption. It was, as they came to Mitzrayim, things got worse and worse and worse. They lost their ability, they lost their ability to... Uh, so, so you have this general idea, this general idea which is Adam HaRishon, right? The Gemara says, the Gemara says that when Bnei Yisrael was standing at Har Sinai in order to, the, to receive the Torah, Right? So they somehow had to achieve a level of purity, we mentioned before, a level of purity which enabled them to be the recipients, the recipients of the Torah. So this is what the, the Shemi Shmuel is going to discuss. I, mean, I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but I want to tell you that, that after, all, after all, God created man, right? Man and woman, they were in Ganeden. And everything seems to have been great. Along came the snake, and the snake convinced them, convinced them that they should eat from the Eitz Hadat Tovara. Right? Eitz Hadat Tovara. What's an Eitz Hadat Tovara? If you eat from the tree, you'll see that there is a choice to be made. And one could argue that that Akadosh Baruch Hu wanted them to be able to I mean, why Akadosh Baruch Hu put the tree in the and they got and they got aided? Why did Akadosh Baruch Hu say, "Hey, don't touch that tree"? You know, singling it out, singling out that tree that, that that it's there, but don't don't go near it. And you could say, you could say, although I'm not, <coughs> I'm not sure you'd want to, but you could say 
that it was really part of the plan, this, this eating from the Eitzadah because it's what enabled people to choose. It's what enabled people to choose, and it was, the Shem Yishmuel tries to explain that Tov and Ra, Tov and Ra are often not two distinct things, but they could be found in the same, in the same place. Tov and Ra can be found in the same place. And he quotes, the example he quotes, you can give tzedakah in a way that's Tov. You give tzedakah in order that people should benefit from what you can dispose of. But tzedakah could also be given for kavod, for honor, for, for, for being designated, for being spoken about, for being written about. That's also, that's also called tzedakah. Tzedakah Tov and tzedakah not so Tov. So along came Adam and Chava, they ate from the Eitzadah Tovara, and they were able to understand that there is such a thing, that there's Tovara. And the first thing that happened to, to Adam and Chava after they ate from the Eitzadah was Busha. They were embarrassed. And what is Busha? Busha means you realize, they realized that they were liable to sin. They were liable to do something wrong. Because they might not figure it out so well. They might be confused about how it really is. And yet, and yet the challenge of Tovara could only be met by a deeper understanding of what Tov is and what Ra is and why you should cleave to Tov and stay away from Ra. You had to understand it. it had to be. So this is what B'nai Yisrael, this is what's happening to B'nai Yisrael in Mitzrayim, they are given the opportunity to understand the difference between Tovara and to make the choice, to make the choice to follow Moshe out of, out of Mitzrayim. The Rashi says that not everybody was able to make that choice. Not everybody was able to live up to that standard. But Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, said, Choshech, we need the Choshech. And as I said before, in the third pasuk of the Torah, means that there is a light that comes beyond what we call daylight. It's the light of understanding. It's the light of awareness. It's the light that makes everything else pale by comparison, the light itself. So the light is, was put away, according to Rashi, according to Chazal, was put away for the tzaddikim. Only the tzaddikim could live with that light. You know, like sometimes, sometimes you see somebody, somebody who's really good, you know, really good, really pure, really, and you say, oh, it's not for me, I don't want to go near that person. I want everything to do with them. You know, he's like, he sets the bar too high, or she sets the bar too high. I don't want everything to do with that. That's, as a, I think, if not a normal reaction, a reaction that happens to people from time to time. So that, that the tzaddikim, according to Rashi, they could live with the light. Or they could live with it. But no one else could. And no one else doesn't mean just wicked people. It means people who are not firm believers that God's plan will be, will be successful. And so Rav Nachman said, Abdachman said, what's happening in Mitzrayim is an ongoing challenge. I mean, it's a challenge forever. The challenge, the challenge of, of having this bitachon, 
of knowing that the promise will be fulfilled, of being able to somehow find in that itself a relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. All of that, according to Rav Nachman, was happening in Tzad Mitzrayim. Tzad Mitzrayim is not a story about something that happened, but it's a story of something that's happening all the time and that will continue to happen and that hopefully will, will be successful in that everybody will be able to relate to the fact that God has promised and kept the promise, right? But that until the promise is kept, we express a belief that the promise will be kept. That's the, that's the remarkable idea behind all, uh, all, all of this. And that's what's happened in, in uh, Makat uh, Choshech. Now it's true that Makat Choshech, there are different ideas. There are different things that happen. There are bad things happen to the Egyptians, the bad things happen to the Jews. But it is quite remarkable that Rashi says that there's something bad happening to the Jews. But at the same time, Rashi says, no, but they went around to all the houses and they made a little catalog of the stuff that they're going to get when they leave Mitzrayim. So that means it was also good for the Jews. It was bad for the Jews. It was good for the Jews. Right? There was, you had to have the, the Jews, the other Jews, the ones who were not making the catalog and the ones who were not, uh, uh, the, the Jews who, who were not dying because of their uh, uh, unclear thinking, so everybody had to make decisions. It's all happening for, for the Jewish people. They see it happening. They're the good guys and they're the bad guys. There are people who know what they're doing. People who don't know what they're doing. So the people who are not committed, they have to commit. It's a, it's a remarkable kind of story that takes place here on behalf of, on behalf of, the, uh, on behalf of the Rashi. And all of this is in the, all of this is in the story of Makat, of Makat Choshech and... Uh, Okay, the theme of Tov as I told you, is more in the Shei Mishmuel, which we will learn together in another year. Okay, yeah. Well, the fifteen years of Egypt was that they had, they had a kind of certainty. A kind of certainty. That they had a certainty, and then you say that it was like if you say that was a reverse uh, play, then that it was kind of a reverse betochen. Because the Egyptians, no matter what happened, mm-hmm. were, were certain. They even went in. At the same time, the, the uh, Israelites, who should have had the Betochen, um, were wavering. And then that kind of reversed in the sea, right? I mean, that's an unusual way to describe the background of the Egyptians mm-hmm. as having such certainty. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as certainty is concerned, I mean, uh, it's very hard to deny the certainty that the Egyptians had. Because there's no obvious act that could come from heaven that would change everything. Even though the Ramban at the end of the Parashat Bo, there's a very long Ramban at the end of Parashat Bo, where he talks about the role of Yitziat Mitzrayim for the Egyptians. That the idea was to teach them this lesson of one God. But... Uh, I don't think they learned it. The Rabban doesn't talk about that, but in, in uh, Rav Nachman does talk about that. Tough. Good job.